Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, the kind of thing you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend, things that respect your time, the kind of games that can try things that bigger games just can't dare to try. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week, of course, as usual, by my bro host, Shane. How are you doing, Shane? I am super. And Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, this week we're talking about a game that it's a bit of an older game, um, a game that's kind of been on our list for a very long time, uh, but it's gotten bumped up recently because it was recently part of the free games for the month for PlayStation Plus members, and that is Limbo uh, from Play Dead Games. Yeah, it's not that often that I have uh, the inclination or a chance to go back and play these sorts of games again. We are always moving from game to game, so it was kind of nice to have that game just sort of dropped in my lap and brought back to my attention. And I really got a chance to realize what made me like it so much the first time I played it. It's one that's always been on my mind. This is a really good throwback, you know, month for me between this and Spider. You know, going back to games that I uh, tried, maybe didn't complete. I completed Spider, but I didn't complete Limbo the first time. And just, you know, jumping back in, Limbo is such a well-balanced, you know, I would call it a platformer, but it's a puzzle game more like, um, you know, keep going right, uh, solve the problem you need to do to continue going right. Um but it's been wonderful to kind of jump back in that world and wander around this spooky place. <laughs> the word spooky is all over our notes for this episode. I think probably every fourth word is spooky. Is this our Halloween special? It we is. To delay this? <laughs> we'll have to put it off. Well, I know I- it's it's wonderfully morbid and like the Victorian cutout, like Edward Gorey sort of way. The art style's, you know, much simpler than that. Um this has the opposite problem of Machinaria. Um, it's not a problem, but at Machinaria, we had so much stuff on screen. Here, there's very little on screen. If it's there, you use it. Um, and it kind of makes this eerie atmosphere. It is incredibly stripped down. The, the visuals are, I mean, even more than five years after this game came out, uh, which is weird, right? Like, it's been a long time. This, uh, it, I, I kept feeling like this game was just, oh, this I'll get around to this eventually, right? I'd never played it until now. Um, and apparently I'd been putting it off for a full half a decade. I played it when it first came out on the PlayStation 3, which I don't think was the very original release, but it was definitely way back there. Right. It, it first came out on Xbox Live Arcade. And um, I actually think... Maybe I'm getting my timeline mixed up, but I think it was a part of the summer of arcade. There was a certain period uh, in the history of the Xbox 360 that I largely missed out on by not having one that was a really big time for indie games. And this was right on the cusp of when, you know, the indie game, um, you know, avalanche started hitting the world of consoles. You know, they had started becoming a pretty big deal on PC uh, already by this point, um, you know, a lot of developers who had been creating these smaller, uh, more compact experiences were moving from web games and things like that into this space of creating more full-fledged experience for PCs. But full-fledged games, as, you know, indie games as downloads on consoles was almost still kind of a novel idea at this point. This is that Summer of Arcade is the same time that indie game movie was shooting. I always feel like that happened in 2012 because that's when that movie came out. But I remember that I had the um, 
I had an Xbox and I had a job doing casual games. And so the indie game boom was huge for me because I was learning so many new mechanics that I could take bits and pieces of and use them when I was designing. It's five years ago, but I remember that just being a huge puzzle game explosion. Scapegoat, actually, the first one came out that year, too. Yeah, I mean, this would have been this would have been among the first downloadable console games that I played because, I mean, the the PlayStation Network kind of kicked off, I think, in around 2006 or seven. And I don't remember I we had a I had a PlayStation three at around that time, but there just weren't that many games that were like, you know, buy it and play it right now. You know, it was more like, you know, oh, you know, you can connect your your store bought game to play online with friends or something, which never worked. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty original for me at the time. And, and of that, the games in that era, this one is, is one of the ones that stuck with me. I I think the reason it stuck with me is the art style really. And that's pretty much in my mind, the biggest defining factor to the game is the, is the appearance there, there still isn't anything that really looks like it going back to that art style. I, I can't remember any other game that has this level of like stripped down appearance and, and gameplay like all together. It's a, it's an extremely minimal game. A really a, a nice quote that I saw online from uh, Art Jensen, who's uh, one of the creators, one of the two creators of this game, um, was, "I really enjoy getting rid of everything to see what works. It should be working when it's very naked and there's nothing, no music or anything. I really enjoy the moment where you can be sucked into this world with just a small amount of sound or a hidden detail in the corner." Um, I think it's really interesting that this really is a completely stripped down experience. No color on screen whatsoever. It's entirely black and white. Um, there's almost no detail. Uh, so you see, you know, maybe slight details in the outlines of objects, but most objects can be essentially stripped down to rectangles, squares, circles, simple shapes. The, uh, the enemies in the game are mostly just the environment and what other creatures you see. They're all really simple to the point of being almost unidentifiable. And also this applies to the story as well. The game has a story that is so stripped down as to be something that you can really sort of project your own impressions onto. Uh, There's no hard and fast, you know, right and wrong answer about what the game is actually about, what the action of the game is depicting. It's all very minimal. And yet, it really gives you this sort of screen to project your your thoughts and your your ideas onto. I mean, I love that the game is a full screen experience. There's no um, heads up display. There's no death counter in the corner. There's a lot of easy, <laughs> cheap things that they could add, like you know, you know, hint bubbles, tutorials. There's no navi. No, no yeah. navi. <laughs> um, you figure things out by dying. Um, it has a really stellar point-by-point exploration of each uh, puzzle because you get to do, you know, you do something, you pass it, then you die right after. Okay, next time you know to do this instead. You, you figure out the ordering. Um, a lot of the puzzles, you know, there's a lot of humor in this game 
where they'll teach you one trick and then they'll reverse it. So you try to do the trick again and then you just die. Mm-hmm. Yes, like the the moment where you find you're you're walking along and you step on a button and something slams down and kills you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're like, oh, well, I, I, I guess I better jump over that button. Oh, here's another button. Better jump over that one. And uh, something slams down and kills you anyway, because that button you have to step on. Yeah, that's the opposite. That's the <laughs> that's button's the opposite button. And then now that they've taught you that, some little guys come and chase you. <laughs> With and blow chase you darts. back across the buttons. But you know how to do the buttons, and they don't. <laughs> yeah. Which you've learned by dying over and over. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the defining part of this game to me. Like I, I'd like to go back and kind of compare to some of the games that, the, that were around around this time, like... This was, to me, right after Braid, which I think came out um, the year before or a couple of years before, 2008 or nine is my best guess on that. And um, Braid was my first time I, I played like a puzzle platformer and I was like, oh, puzzle platformers are going to be something special. So at that point, like every puzzle platformer to me had to have a gimmick, Right. So, you know, Braid's gimmick is playing with time. And I was thinking, okay, what's the gimmick of this game? It's that it's it was that sort of instant revival without any loss of progress, you know? Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. You, you die, and sometimes you die in these crazy, insane ways, like, you know, something, or completely unpredictable ways. Ways that in any other game would feel incredibly unfair. So cheap. Yeah, and, <laughs> and yet in this game, it manages to turn those completely cheap and kind of brutal deaths into not only sort of a, you know, a teachable moment, but even kind of a reward. Because every death that you have in this game, first off, you you revive again from it almost exactly where you left off, and, you know, you've lost essentially no progress. But each death actually is really amusing and interesting. Um, you know, there's, it, there's sort of ragdoll physics to this, but it's more than just ragdoll physics. When your mm-hmm. character dies, you hear the crunch of his bones, and depending on how he's being killed, um, you you see just tiny hints of his of of real gore, just really gory stuff. Like oh, for it's example, not tiny hints. This is this is a rag doll that is full of of like organs and viscera. Yeah, and they've just done an amazing <laughs> job of animating that, so it, it feels you know physics based and sort of rag dolly, and yet the animation of it is a little different each way that you die and it's it's really um kind of disturbing. I mean really dark. Like this game is bleak but also darkly funny. Yeah, with only flat black silhouettes. Um you know, one of the first deaths you'll have in this game is falling onto spikes. Classic platformer death. 90 time 90% of the time when you see a classic platform death like this, you just fall and you die, you know, you turn invisible, you blink. or you fall, and you might stay and then bounce out of life. <laughs> or you might die, stick, and a game over comes up, and you've just you know gotten stuck. The way Limbo does it is you you land on the spikes, and you hear that crunch of the bikes going through, and then the animation slides down just a little bit, and you hear this like like a sound of a sponge going against a wall, and the light in your eyes goes out, and the light in your eyes go out. And then you instantly reset. So you have this really satisfying, sick animation that's really detailed. Like, they thought a lot about what a body goes through when it dies <laughs> in these many, many different ways. Um, and it's a reward. You're going to die a lot, but you're always going to be entertained by it. 
So Shane, what you said a minute ago about there not being like a, a, a that they're the gimmick of this game being that mechanic. Well, what I think is so interesting about this is like, you're right. So many puzzle platformers or even platformers in general, or maybe even just indie games in general, um, organize themselves around this one central gimmick, um, one central mechanic. But this reminded me, and this is a weird thing to say because it's so very different, but it reminded me of a lot of the more modern Mario games in that those games and this game, they have a lot of ideas, a lot of neat little mechanical, puzzly, or interesting ideas, whether in Mario, that's things like these, uh, um, you know, new enemies that you come up against or new types of, of stages that, you know, give you a new thing. And these Mario games, particularly the more modern ones, will throw those things at you once and maybe give you one more time to experience it now that you've mastered it. And then it's gone and they're throwing something entirely new at you. It's constantly giving you these interesting new gimmicks or mechanics, and it's not ever recycling things. Um, and that's not to say that recycling things in new ways is ever bad. Like there's some games that I've played where they give you a central mechanic. It's like a portal gun. You know, that's a, it's one thing and you find dozens and dozens of ways to use that. But here, there isn't a central, you know, iterative mechanic. No, you're right. The 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 controls for this game are controls that you've had before. Like, it, I think right around the same time, I was playing Little Big Planet. And mm-hmm. Little Big Planet is a game with definitely a gimmick, right? You know, it's got this whole interactive level creator that's central to the experience. But it has the exact same controls that this game does. You've got to jump and you've got to grab, and that is it. It's a platformer with jump and grab. And this game gives you those two things in a uh, bleak hellscape mm-hmm. um, in which you're going to be destroyed over and over again. So I, I, I guess you could call it a gimmick, but it's more just like an aesthetic. Yeah, death is really central to the... The whole idea. morbidity and you know bleakness of this game and i think that's great like this game when it was kind of sold to me was the game you die a lot in and not like super meat boy where you die a lot because you're the game is hard death is part of the exploration it's i love it when games tie that art style to the actual gameplay and this feels really tight um the puzzles only give you what you need and that helps with the sparseness and you know the soundtrack also is super sparse like everything is just bare bones oh yeah we haven't talked about the soundtrack yet it's Mm. it's really unique um there's almost no music in this game or at least when i was when i when i thought to think about it i thought to myself all i'm hearing are you know the whistle of the wind through these bones and things like it's it's very bleak in terms of sound the audio is akin to like the times that it uses actual white instead of gray like the few times that you have white you know the eyes of the main character um you know there's the creepy brain slugs the creepy brain slugs i i i was like leeches when you have white it's very intentional it's something important it's something important and when there's sound um other than the atmospheric sound effects it's usually a big reward or like a big opening they want you to kind of have a an extra immersion level it's very very targeted i don't know if there's really much to say about this game in terms of its story 
but I think that's one of the strengths of this game was that it did so little explaining and yet there's clearly there's clearly something happening here uh, you know we start the game with a little boy sort of waking up in a field I guess um, in this very bleak landscape all in black and white and I mean like all platformers our goal is go to the right and we pass through a bunch of different increasingly weird and maybe sort of nightmarish uh, landscapes uh, from places where there's clearly a bunch of bodies lying around to places that seem more inhabited from forests to more industrial looking areas um I always sort of took it to be exactly what it says in the name, which is limbo. You know, I always, yeah. I always thought this is this is the you know this is the afterlife. I suspect that's probably the case. I mean, that's that seems to be the implication, but it's never flat out said. There definitely are hints of death. I mean, there's little flies following the character around. Uh, the creepy brain brain slug I interpreted as a maggot. Yeah, like could a, easily like be. A, um, but it doesn't... You don't have to have a deep meaning for this game to work. Mm-mm. Yeah. The ending is particularly sort of haunting. Um, and I suppose uh, it doesn't really feel like something that needs to be behind a spoiler break here. But I'll do my best not to give it away. I will just say that the ending is really haunting and even still, it doesn't truly explain things. But, you know, you you really should watch to the end of the credit roll. Um, and there's a final sort of shot once the game sort of returns to the title screen after the credit roll that kind of sealed for me, um, you know, at least the context of, of this, you know, dark and dismal world. And I have to say, like, it... It was a, it was it was haunting. It was kind of creepy. Uh, I had fun playing it because the deaths were so amusing, but it's also really, really bleak, really dark, and uh, I think that's something that it does really well. Like you, if you if you don't mind that sort of perspective, you know, don't don't play this game as a pick me up. Is what I'm saying. Well, we're saying dark and death, but it's not like you know. There's plenty of violent shooters out there, like. You know, it's it's dark in a in the sense that it doesn't let up. True, you're gonna die. It's a not lot. a uh, gritty experience. No, no, you're right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It's not gritty. It's just sort of haunting and um, spooky <laughs> and spooky. I mean, it's a little more like you know, it's not the same. But Gearwalk has yeah elements of that. Absolutely, they, it's the absence of extras that make it scary. Um. The only other thing that we've played here that I thought of was um, there is a point in Little Inferno where it has a similar aesthetic. And I won't say any more because that's, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Those are both really good comparisons, particularly Year Walk, which had that sort of bleak, otherworldly weirdness to it. Um, I, I, I didn't think about Year Walk when I was playing it, but now that you mention it, I have to feel like the that Year Walk took some things from Limbo just in terms of its art style and sort of general tone, uh, although it was a little more rooted in the real world than, than Limbo is. Yeah, when you think about Year Walk, I mean, the importance of the sound effect of the steps, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a huge part of Limbo, just this, the emptiness of you walking alone. And you're alone in this game for most of it. Yeah. 
So this game is out on basically every console ever. I mean, uh, since 2010, when um, Playdead released it on Xbox Live, um, it's now been released on, so we're playing it on the, I played it most recently on the PlayStation 4 because that's its most recent release. But it has been released on the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, Microsoft Windows, X, uh, OS X, uh, Linux, Steam OS, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, iOS, Android, OnLive, and Wii U, according to the Wikipedia page. I mean, that's insane. Um, so it's it's available for basically any device that you have. And there's actually a good chance if you are a PC gamer that you probably already own this game. It's been in multiple Humble Bundles. Um, so if for some reason you've been putting this off, uh, it really only takes about three hours-ish. How long did it take you guys? Two and a half hours. I, I kept stopping and starting. We had a thunderstorm, so it was actually perfect. Play this in a thunderstorm if you can. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, I would say two and a half hours is right on the money. And th that brings up that this is one of the first games that I played that made me start thinking about short games. Um, right around the time this came out, there were, I, like, I remember there being reviews of this game that were really critical of the kind of time for money prospect of this game, which is at the time it came out was about a $15 game. And people were saying, gosh, this game was great, but it left me wanting so much more. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I just felt good to have something finished. Yeah. Have we moved away from that criticism much in mainstream gaming press? We're getting there. This game came out when the wave of, you know, let's vomit a bunch of icons onto a map and, and call it a, a, a an open world game uh, thing was at its peak, you know, where this 2006 to, I don't know, 2009 or something. I don't know. I'm putting arbitrary numbers on it, but really people were really, really into these incredibly lengthy games that were basically just having you do the same thing over and over again. And, you know, and I didn't play this game until very recently, but I could see where it would really have stuck out in the landscape of 2010. Definitely different. So it's been total silence from Playdead, the developers of this game, since 2010. I guess so, yeah. Well, save for a ton of updates and new ports, but yeah, other than that, silence. I mean, that's true. Like, they've spent the last five years porting this game to everything and releasing it on every possible console and platform. Yeah, it's on everything. I actually was going out to check my, uh, my, my power meter on the back of my house, and suddenly I found that it had installed Limbo. <laughs> The developers, Playdead, have been teasing their new game, which is called Inside, for a little while. And actually, it's been pushed back a couple of times. Uh, it was originally announced for early 2015, but, I mean, here we are in uh, well and truly mid-2015, and, and I don't think right now we have an actual release date or even an estimate. Um, but Inside, all that's out of it right now is a trailer. I'll post a link to the trailer in the show notes. But, I mean, it looks to me... Like they are following an interesting trajectory from uh, from Limbo. It's a platformer. It's in 3D, but it, it seems to be like sort of that quote unquote 2.5D. You're, you're, you're controlling a character in 3D space, but moving around on a 2D plane. Um, and again, it looks like a game that 
evokes more than it describes. Um, it seems to, you seem to be following a young boy running around in a sort of a dark, sort of dismal, maybe, I don't know, apocalyptic or Orwellian looking uh, scenario. And um, that's really all we know about it at this point. It looks kind of cool. The artwork for it looks neat, but I don't know. We we don't know much about it, and uh, we may not for a while yet. It seems like it's been delayed a number of times. It does look like it's uh, it's set to debut on the Xbox One, although I would be surprised if they didn't very quickly port it from there to every other single platform imaginable, as that seems to be these folks' MO. I'm excited about it. Watching the trailer now looks really interesting. Ooh, jumping. They've got jumping. They've got jumping. It, uh, has, hey. it has all of the hallmarks of They've got swinging design. <laughs> there are worse taglines than we got jumping, we got swinging. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey Kong. Wait. Um, so what have you guys been up to? I know th- this is a bit of a silly question to ask because, uh, dear listeners, we were recording this one back to back, more or less, with our last episode. So uh, in order to uh, to catch up some lost time. So when I say, what have you been up to? Really, I'm asking, Laura, what have you been up to? You didn't record with us yesterday. Shane, I know what you've been up to. You don't know what I've been doing. I um, stumbled back into Fallen London. Um, I've been playing it for several years probably since before limbo was out that seems like a really long time um i mean i've been playing since the game was pretty small and the game is huge now um for those who uh, didn't listen to the interactive fiction episode uh fallen london is a huge interactive storybook about this kind of victorian neath online free to play uh you can buy extra you know storylines through pay to play but most of it's free little bits of social aspects, but they did a couple things that have made me kind of move from a once a week, you know, maintainer to someone who's actually checking daily. And uh, one of the huge things is they're moving to uh, iOS and Android ports of the game. That's really exciting. I I had a hard time with their web interface. It was just a little too, um, I don't know, 2000 five for me like i i I found it a little bit of a barrier to entry also the fact that i'm rarely at a desktop computer these days yeah and it's really the site doesn't scale at all on mobile devices if you try to play on your phone or tablet it will just shrink everything down um you know the bad kind of not actually responsive design and so tremendously excited um signed up as a beta tester um they're going to be doing that in waves so i'm um I can't say anything about it, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really happy to play there. Um, they've also updated, uh, there's ambitions where your character can choose kind of a huge goal, um, one of four storylines, um, and they've updated by ambition. So there's now a lot more content, um, mm. hard content, like, you know, things I actually have to work for. And I haven't had to work for things in this game since I'm pretty far along in a while. So... I'm excited because I don't. It's not grinding. I'm actually doing full storylines I didn't find before. Like I'm kind of uncovering a lot of things in a game I thought I'd completed. So that's awesome. That's really exciting for me. When that um, comes out on iOS, I'm going to give it another try um, for sure because I think that was probably the only thing keeping me from really getting into it. A game like that where you are sort of meant to be checking in on it periodically rather than playing it in you know two or three sessions of sit down and play for a few hours. That type of game, I don't think it can afford to not be mobile anymore. 
Absolutely. And I think the interface they'd created on desktop was just way too much to try to do uh, responsive design. I'm really glad they're doing native apps. Um, and they actually have even talked about, after they finish this, if the port's successful, taking Sunless Sea, their huge game, and making a mobile uh, companion app for that as well. That sounds neat. Yeah, I, so. Sunless Sea has been on my list of must-play games for a long time. Because you got me started on Fallen London, but I did have that sort of issue of like, well, you know, I'm, I don't play a lot of games on my laptop. And I want to play this game on my phone. I will play it when it comes out on mobile. But I am I am more, more interested in Sunless Sea just because it combines this sort of story-driven game with what we all know are with what we all know is my favorite genre, uh, roguelikes. Yeah, I have been on like four or five unsuccessful sea voyages in Sunless Sea. I'm still having fun with it. I'm dying a lot. My poor captains have gone down with the ship, and they have eaten their crew. <laughs> everything bad has happened to them. Apparently not everything bad has happened to them. I'm finding new things. I froze to death in the last one. Perfect. That was fun. It reminds me of that wonderful Josh Ritter song about, uh, about the boat that gets icebound. Well, don't keep going north if you're not a very good player at this game. <laughs> good and call. then after you think you've gone off the map... Then don't continue going north and go off the map again. I don't know. It worked for me in uh, in, in 80 days. <laughs> it did work for me in 80 days. Deus Ex. Got really romantic. Oh, you did. I didn't. There are hot times at the North Pole. Jester refuses to play 80 days, and it makes me mad. Ugh. Well, I've also been playing a game on my iPhone that I wanted to mention because it came out today. And I know when you're hearing this, dear listener, it will no longer be today, but it might be a week or so in the past. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, um, go download Pac-Man 256. Can it, can, I really can't believe that it's the 256th anniversary of Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. He's 256 years old now. Yeah. It's by the same developers as Crossy Road, uh, Hipster Whale. And I talked about my love for Crossy Road on our Endless Runners episode. Even though it's not strictly speaking an Endless Runner, it's still sort of an Endless-esque game. You know, it's a cross between a classic arcade mechanic, Frogger, with this more sort of Endless Runner style and done as a free-to-play game that still really respects you in terms of not bugging you or being you know basically shitty um, and that really seems to be the same thing they're doing here this is a uh a official partnership with namco so it's actually going to show up as published by namco but hipster whale did all the development and um, it's a twist on pac-man where you have an endless pac-man maze but the maze is being slowly eaten from one side by a glitch that is very cleverly resembles the kill screen at the end of pac-man so the sort of glitchy letters that you would see on the screen if you reached the you know final stage of pac-man on, on the arcade machines so you are going around eating uh pac-man pellets and there are you know achievements and points to be gained based on how many you can eat and how much fruit you can eat and whether you can eat without stopping for x number of pellets um that sort of thing um but of course there's power pellets you can eat the ghosts or otherwise you are pursued by the ghosts but it's the twist in that it has this endless feel. You know, it's you're you're going for a points high score. I have not really mastered this game yet, but just the few rounds of it that I've played, I have to say, I think it's 
it's another hit. I think that hipster whale really has nailed it again. And mainly because once again, they've really found a way to monetize a game, you know, an iOS game, a free to play iOS game without making it aggressively awful. Hmm. This one's a little bit more on the edge than Crossy Road is. Crossy Road looks and feels like a premium game and never is so crass as to bring up price, except in those moments when you've decided that you love the game so much that you want to buy totally useless things in it to make it look cuter. Uh, you know, you can buy the little different uh, persons or, you know, character models or what have you. This game, it monetizes with um, with credits, uh, like you'd put into an arcade machine. So each play counts, uh, costs a credit. Um, you accrue credits through playing the game, and you can also accrue credits through a bunch of other means, including like watching an ad every now and then. But the game is so incredibly generous with credits, or at least it seems to be so far, that, hmm. I mean, I, 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 again, like with Crossy Road, I cannot imagine how they are actually making money at it. It's a little less subtle about it here. You can see that there are credits. You can see how many credits you have. You know that eventually if you wanted to keep playing, you know, a game after game after game after game after game, you would probably need to, you know, kick them a few bucks. But it's incredibly well done. So if you like Pac-Man and you want a good mobile version of it that does a really unique spin on it, I would definitely download it. Why not? It's free. There you yeah. are. And the only other thing is um, I took last week off between jobs. And so I played a couple kind of, you know, quick tastes of a bunch of little games. Um, I played another round of How to Full Boyfriend, the pigeon dating oh, simulator. You have to tell oh me about it. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, wow. I have wanted to play that game. I, I spent a little while playing a, a game called that I thought was similar called Food Court. That oh. is a food dating simulator. Are you, are you playing the food or do you work in the food court? No, you are dating the food. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> the French fries were jerks to me, guys. Oh, no. The French fries came into a coffee shop and ordered uh, a really complicated latte and got really mad when they didn't have it. And it was just kind of an asshole. So I got really turned on. Yeah. Did you try to date that French fry? <laughs> yeah. We're going to see each other again. Shane likes bad boys. Or bad starches. Ooh. I like high-calorie bad boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep that up for next week. Let us know how it's going with you in the French fry. So how was Hattiful Boyfriend for you? Um, delightful. Um, so you're the only human going to a school for pigeons because the world has ended and you live in a cave. Like You find this out slowly. Like People are like, why are you tired? And you're like, oh, because it took me a long time to forage for berries last night. <laughs> I haven't had meat in a week. And they're like, oh, that sucks being a human. <laughs> um, they're not all pigeons. Sometimes they're things like rock doves. Um, oh, you know, the course. aristocratic boy that I was going after was definitely not your everyday pigeon. Although your best friend, kind of like Ducky and Pretty and Pink, is definitely just a standard pigeon. Oh, yeah. You can date him, but like, why would you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> why would you when there's much cooler? Like, you can date your teachers. I played it through twice, uh, once with Aristocrat, um, once with um, – I was trying to get – there's kind of a weird pigeon thing that's involved – like really into pudding. And apparently you can play it such that like sentient pudding 
is part of the game, and I was trying to get the sentient pudding ending, and I failed. Oh. So I think I should try again until that sounds worth this it. game becomes even weirder. Yeah, that really sounds worth it. Oh, it's so, it's short. It's super short. If we want to cover it, I guess I'm down for for that. Once I once my relationship with the French fries has run its course, absolutely. <laughs> Don't break their hearts, Shane. You know, and, and I did uh, play one uh, about ten more minutes of Long Live the Queen until I remember I hate Excel spreadsheets. So why was I doing that to myself? Um, if you like dying a lot, Long Live the Queen, I can't recommend. Um, it's entertaining. It's interesting, and then you're going to die horribly for a reason you cannot predict unless you keep track on a spreadsheet so yeah it was it was so, it was it. too complicated for me and i was really really prepared to love that game um mm-hmm. i love things that play on the dating sim uh model uh, or the princess maker model you know this is a little bit of a of a hobby horse for me why do we only ever get things that are deconstructing or or recontextualizing the dating sim genre. Why don't we ever get any damn dating sims that are just dating sims? Because they're sleazy. No, they're not all sleazy. I would totally play a really legit, straightforward, you know, decently produced, like decently written dating sim. Well, what you're looking for is Dragon Age. <laughs> Regency Solitaire is supposed to have a pretty good dating sim in there wait really I, I i kept seeing that all over the internet and all i understood about it was it's a solitaire game and i don't really find that too interesting why are people tweeting about this is that what that's all about people are i haven't played it um i picked it up but i have not played it i'm excited about it um it is basically that your rogue brother has um a rake brother excuse me <laughs> she's a proper nomenclature has you know lost all the family's fortune by gambling but you're good at gambling so you can play lots of whist and get or solitaire and earn money back at the same time you're it's a jane austen book so you're also dating all the eligible bachelors in your town while you're trying to reclaim your family's fortune so you're also you know buying better dresses to go to the ball and whatnot uh, you know that might make me overcome my uh, my disinterest in playing solitaire. Uh, so I might give that a try. Nothing could make me overcome my disinterest in playing solitaire. <laughs> and with <Not> that. that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, hate, I'm a hateful person. That just killed the entire... It's like that was, that was you taking, you know, stepping on the switch and hitting us in our conversation with a brick. <laughs> Love you, Shane. I'm a jerk. <laughs> and with that, um, thank you guys for joining me on another episode of The Short Game. Uh, we doubled up this week so that we'd be able to get ahead of the ball a little bit with so many interesting games coming out right now. So we've got a lot of really interesting stuff coming up. If you have any feedback for us about this episode or any upcoming game that you think is interesting and might be right for the show, just drop us a line. We are at info at theshortgame.net or we're on Twitter at underscore shortgame or of course you can go to our website www.theshortgame.net where you can find a feedback form, a page where we list upcoming episodes as well as we are able um, and all of our back episodes. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? Find me at 8BitShane. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of The Short Game.